Hey, welcome back to Return to Odyssey. I'm Josh. I'm Rachel. And we're here to ruin another classic Adventures in Odyssey episode for you guys. Before we actually get started, though, we want to give a shout out to all of our listeners around the world. Since we recorded last, we have accumulated, I guess, uh, listeners from the U.S., Canada, Germany, Australia, Thailand, Ireland, Nigeria, and wow. Singapore. Yeah, it's... This is awesome, guys. Thank you so much. It's an honor to know that there are people tuning in from all over the place yeah. and listening to our little show. So thank you for being a part of things. Please write us, write us reviews, tell your friends. We're having a blast doing this. We are. We are. Speaking of reviews, we also want to read our very first review ever on Apple Podcast. Sensei Cam gave us five stars, and he says, Wit with quit. Ha ha ha. Very easy to listen to. If Adventures in Odyssey was part of your childhood, you'll get hit in the feels a few times. Thank you, Sensei Cam. We appreciate your kind words, and we get hit in the feels a few times while we're recording, so... Yeah, this is a nostalgia <laughs> dose for time. us Yeah, all the time. time. So yeah, don't forget to rate and review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. I think you can do that on a couple other of the platforms that we're a part of. Also, if you want to be listening to the album along with us, you can purchase it from Amazon through our affiliate link. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's only on CD through Amazon. I couldn't find it on digital. Also, this episode is brought to you in part by Audible. And if you go to our affiliate link and sign up for a 30-day free trial, you can download any two books of your choice. Two books. And we actually have a recommendation for you. This week, the book we'd like to recommend to you guys is The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers by Maxwell King. And the audiobook is actually read by LeVar Burton. If you grew up watching Reading Rainbow, he's the narrator for the audiobook. And it's just great. Fred Rogers was obviously an American pop culture icon, mm -hmm. but he was also a remarkable guy. And every bit as genuine and kind and warm and thoughtful as his... In real life. Yeah, as, as his on-screen on persona was. He was a very uh, genuine guy. America's grandpa mm -hmm. in many ways mm -hmm. really fit that and that'll be a nice dose of positivity for you yeah. which you may need after listening to this episode because just like I said in the first episode part of my fear with going into these is that they're not as good as we remember them yeah sometimes things from your childhood are not as great as you remember them being and this episode in particular is one that we're like, oof, don't really remember this one too much. And there's probably well, a reason why I, I shoveled it, it back. We remembered it while we were listening, and we do not remember it. Being, being as not good as it is. Yes. So strap yourselves in, guys. We've given critiques to the things in the past. This one's going to have some pretty heavy critique to it. This is episode five. five. The Day After Christmas. So we're still in Christmas mode in Odyssey. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with Chris's intro. It's fairly short. There's no funny sketch here. Mm -hmm. From what it says, it sounds like she's talking about contentment. contentment. again. And she says that in this episode, Annie will discover how to make the joy of Christmas last all year. So this is another of these one-off kid characters. Her name Annie. is Annie. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of all that it says. It's about making the joy of Christmas last all year. So how do you do that? What does that look like? What does that mean? 
So we have Annie, as we go into the actual episode proper, coming into Wit's End, and Wit is stacking boxes full of, does he even say at the time? Food and food, toys. toys, and kind of listing off, okay, so there's the toys, and there's all the rest of the food. Then she, he greets Annie, and... Yeah, she's okay. coming into Wit's End, and he compliments her on this new coat that she has. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, my stepdad gave it to me, but I really don't like its color. I'll probably go and return it. So then he's like, did you get anything else nice for Christmas? And she goes through kind of a list of 80s fads. Yeah, so she lists all these toys and things that she got. One of them is a Puffalump, which is, we actually had to look it up. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, we had one of these when I was a kid. It's like this pillowy stuffed animal. We had one that was a blue puppy, and we just called it Puppy because we were not creative with naming our toys. But... A Puffalump? A Cabbage Patch doll named Carrie Elizabeth. Apparently, the first run of Cabbage Patch dolls all had unique names tattooed on their butts. Which, actually, I don't remember looking specifically for the names, but I think if we looked at our dolls, we might find them now. My sister and I had a few Cabbage Patch dolls, and every time we got a new one, we would check the butt to see if it had a signature, because that's how we knew it was an actual Cabbage Patch doll and not a knockoff. So she also says she got, quote, one of those teddy bears that talks and moves like a robot, which I think is only a reference to Teddy Ruxpin. If you had one of these, I'm very sorry. They sound terrifying. If you don't know what a Teddy Ruxpin is, it's a, were those the ones that... You could put a cassette cassette tape in in it. And it would read you a story. Yeah, kind of a Furby-esque thing before Furbies were in existence. Shoes and a bracelet and a... Loretta Lovely CD player with a mirror so I can style my hair. Okay, this is 1987. CD players were a princely gift. Yeah, this would not have been cheap. But also, a CD player with a mirror so you can style your hair is really bizarre. Who's going to be using a CD player for a mirror? I don't know. It is amazing the crazy, ridiculous, nonsensical things that the toy industry makes for girls. This is absolutely (laughs) true. Absolutely true. I believe some of the stuff I got. Which also leads to the weird question of how old Annie is supposed to be. Yeah, it is hard to tell because the list of toys sounds kind of young. Granted, I played with dolls for a long time, but a baby doll is still, you'd think, grade school or younger. Puffalump, definitely grade school or younger. Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy Ruxpin. Even the idea of a little style my hair kind of beauty that's, kit yeah, thing. Yeah, that still is like 9, 10. Yeah, feels more like little but girls. She sounds 12, 13? Yeah, I I would say I would say so. I would put her as almost like preteen or young teenager. Yeah, it's ambiguous. So she talks about all of that that she got, and Mr. Whitaker is like, "Wow, that's a really great." Yeah, that's quite a haul. That's quite a haul. Yeah, I don't think he says that, but yeah, those those are really great. She's like, "Hey, yeah, I guess." And he says, "What's the matter?" She says, "Oh, they're nice toys and everything, but they get boring after a while." And she's so bored, and apparently being, in her mother's words, such a pill, that her mother kicked her out of the house to go find something to do. Yeah, she's despondent. Life has no meaning now. It's the day after Christmas. That's an exaggeration. But she's rather unpleasant from the get-go. She sounds kind of snotty and careless, and there isn't even a hint of gratitude about what she got. Then they start talking about what are in the boxes. 
mm-hmm. that Mr. Whitaker has been stacking up, and he says that it's just food and toys to share with families in Foster Creek. And this community, Foster Creek, Annie has an immediate skeptical reaction. This is something apparently that's very familiar to people in Odyssey. Mm-hmm. This is the bad part of town, or, or a nasty part of town. This is, Whit refers to it as a ghetto. And Whit says he has a pastor friend down there, and that every year at Christmas time, day after Christmas, they have a meal for the neighborhood and presents for the kids. Yeah. Which is good. It's yeah, a good community outreach so kind of thing. So he invites her to come with him, and she's like, well, I don't have anything else to do. So he calls her parents and asks permission, and they head out down there. And they've been driving for a bit, and she starts noticing houses look like shacks made of cardboard. And Wit confirms this. They're driving along. She says, oh, man, some of these look like they're made of cardboard. Oh, they are, honey. Which sounds a little more like homeless shantytown rather than poor neighborhood. Yeah. It's a spectrum here. It doesn't sound like a normal low-income community. This isn't a trailer park. This isn't even rough housing. She's talking about... Stuff that sounds more like we've seen in, in like, Seattle. yeah, under, in the like, homeless communities under bridges under and stuff. bridges in the park. The homeless population in Seattle, at least right now, is very high, and there are shanty towns like this everywhere. But that's homeless. So that is so not poor people. So, so it's a different kind of scenario what, yeah, than than what we are initially led to believe. And she's immediately like, oh, I think I want to go home now. Everything is so dirty. I'm very unsure about this. And he's like, we'll be home soon enough. And then they get to the church, and the pastor comes out to meet them, and he introduces Reverend Clarence Pike. And this was the first first major big red flag for us. Because Mr. I should say Reverend Reverend Pike comes out, and he has a funny accent. And I'm trying to place it. Why is this character talking so weird until it finally clicks in my head what I'm listening to? And I'm like, oh, no, this is a white guy trying to do a black guy voice. And it's a very specific black. It's a very specific stereotype of kind of the plantation-y. There's one or two points where he's like, "Mm mm-hmm, yes, Yes, sir, yes, sir. It's the plantation worker from old-timey movies. Yeah. And that's a problem for multiple reasons. Firstly, it's a problem because he sounds stereotypical. He sounds like he is essentially doing an audio blackface. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. It is also a problem that the producers of the show immediately chose to have a black person in a poor community when there has never been a distinctly black person in Odyssey up to this point. Yeah, Odyssey, for all of what we've heard so far, it sounds more or less middle class, I would say, and more or less middle class white is what kind of the voices and stuff lead us to believe. That's not necessarily a problem. But to have the only person Mm -hmm. of color show up in a position of poverty is a problem. Not because you can't have a poor black character, but because we haven't seen any other black characters. It's a disproportionate representation within the show. And it, especially considering that this show's audience was and is, I'm not sure about is, but was in its era 
predominantly middle-class white kids, you are implicitly supporting the assumption that if he's poor, he is black. So there were some statistics. We actually did a search for a document put out by the Census Bureau titled Poverty in the United States 1987. And you can just find this right online. This was Mm -hmm. United States Census Bureau. I'm just going to read one little statement. In 1987, 10.5% of white persons were below the poverty level, down from 11.0% in 1986. For blacks, the poverty rate was 33.1% in 1987, a 2.0 percentage point increase since 1986. So it's statistically, it makes sense for listeners of a certain class Mm -hmm. to associate race and poverty. I'm not saying that such a thing is inherently untrue or couldn't be untrue. What is a problem here is that it does reinforce stereotypes without providing any context for it, especially since it's a white guy doing a black guy voice. Right, they saw no reason. If they were going to choose to have a black character, they didn't even try to hire a black voice actor. Yeah, and this is, do this. you know, they've got such quality actors. They're there's hiring no actors from Disney yeah, stuff no and things. Yeah, there's no reason why they couldn't have done this, why they couldn't have gone and found a black actor. So what this comes to, I've talked about some things have aged well and some things have aged poorly. This one has aged very poorly to yes. the point that it's embarrassing. Yes. But rather than just gloss over it, it's worth addressing mm-hmm. because it exists. It's totally there in this episode. Yeah. And especially since these shows are, yes, meant to entertain, but they are also meant very much to teach And there are things that you teach by omission, and there are things that you teach by example, and therefore we ought to expect the producers to be very careful about how they structure the show, even how they represent their characters. Mm -hmm. And this all was done very carelessly. Yeah, I don't think there was any malice here, because Reverend Pike is actually a really positive character. He's a good guy, but the mere fact of his existence and the way he exists, I don't want to be all, like, politically correct woke and all of that, but at the same time, there's wisdom that is not being shown here, and it comes across as racist, and that's a problem. So, So, moving moving on. on from there. Reverend Pike is looking after this kid named Tommy, whose dad is on a government sponsored work program. So maybe his mom is working too. He needs to be looked after. And as they're talking in the church parking lot, Wit asks about the residents of Applegate Hall. Is it still open? Could he go see them? We're assuming that Applegate Hall is a retirement home or a nursing home. We're not really told much about it. He, Yeah, Wit describes it to Annie as a sort of hospital for people who can't take care of themselves. So I'm assuming it is a nursing home. Probably... It is a very low-income nursing home. Probably kind of dirty. Probably kind of dirty. With all of the stuff that goes Not, with yeah. that. Yeah. Nursing homes, even good ones, can be very lonely, sad places. Mm-hmm. Wit wants to go see the residents, and Reverend Pike says, oh, I think he names a specific resident who is still talking about 
wit singing Christmas carols there, and he makes a joke of, <laughs> I was a regular Perry Como. And the and kids are like, who? What? what? And they just sort of gloss over the joke, but let's pause for a second. Perry Como was a 30s? Yeah, he was an old-timey singer, famous for songs like, Feelings, da 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 da, feelings, and killing me softly with her song, killing me softly. It's impossible. All of these sweet sentimental ballads. That's Perry Como. Right. So Wit takes off to go. Annie and Tommy can't go because apparently children under sixteen are not allowed. They don't explain why. They're just not. Which is weird. I don't know if that was a. Regular thing, when we were kids, my mom would actually take us specifically to visit residents mm-hmm. at nursing homes kind of as a means to brighten their day a little mm-hmm. bit. We have a friend who has organized in her community around Halloween. She takes her kids and a lot of other community mm-hmm. families take their kids trick-or-treating in the, in the hallways of, of nursing homes. Yeah. And to me, that's just a great idea. Go brighten the day of some old people and yeah. give them something fun, cute kids in costumes. Mm-hmm. That's a practice that I could get behind. Yes, she's awesome for doing that. Anyway, Wit goes to visit them before the place closes. And, and she leaves the... Annie and Tommy together. With the for... pastor, because the pastor and the kids unload the car, and then the pastor has to step out to the office, so Tommy and Annie are left alone. Yeah, he's got some work he's got to take care of. He's like, I'll be gone in just a couple minutes, I'll be right back. You kids are capable and competent, don't get into any trouble. As soon as he's gone, the kids go and get into trouble. Well, Tommy's first question to Annie, as soon as he's gone, is, are you rich? Which, I found it a very strange question to be the first thing out of the kid's mouth. Do you always begin conversations this way? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it's not even, I understand that finances and money can be something that is very prevalent to a kid growing up in poverty, but it still feels rude and strange for that to be the first thing you ask this girl that you've never met before. And her response is, I I don't know. Oh, then you are. My dad always says only rich people don't know they're rich. Okay. And then we move on to, hey, do you want to visit our crazy cat lady in the neighborhood? Which is a huge jump. So he mentions this lady, Mrs. Rosini, who mm-hmm. has about a hundred cats. And it could be several things going on. He might be trying to impress her. He might be trying to scare her. Which or is makes... entirely realistic for a boy to do to a girl. Like, well, how are you going to handle this? Let me try it. Or it could be as simple as... Kids connect over oh, freaky, freaky stuff. And this is like, hey... I'll share with you our local treasure, the local oddity, the crazy (laughs) Crazy cat cat lady. Let's go spy on her and try to catch a glimpse of her cats. Yeah. But, like, the whole way that she is described is very witch-in-the-woods stereotype. She is kind of a dehumanized oddity to the neighborhood kids because she's the crazy cat lady. So Annie is like, will I get my coat dirty? We're not in the swamp. Yeah, okay. they're in the city. Like, so he's like, no, you won't. And they go out, and we kind of transition to them walking down an alley. And she's complaining that it smells bad. And he's like, well, it's an alley. It's supposed to smell bad. Which is a weird thing Which to say. Like, as if, smel- as if smelling bad is, is inherent. Of an alley. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So then, as they're walking, they hear... A group of... They're accosted by this street gang that Mm -hmm. Tommy says... Are the Locos. They're called the Locos. And the voices, again, 
are stereotypically Hispanic. They're hey, white man. guys. Hey, Tommy. Who's your girlfriend, Tommy? Hey. And it's the same problem that we have with the pastor. Not only are black people automatically associated with poverty, Hispanic people are associated with poverty yeah. and crime in this case. Yes. And... I'm just like, why? What? No, no, stop, it's very, please. Very bad. So anyhow, that's going on, and Tommy's like, just keep walking, which also makes me wonder because they're calling him by name. They know who he is. What's Tommy's relationship with them? Yeah, we're never how, told. How do they know him? I don't know. Because he seems to know that they're bad news. Right. But again, it's it's not specified. Then we get into the scene kind of turns a bit chaotic because it's hard to picture what is going on. He tells Annie, go into this backyard and go around the side of the house. And the car pulls up beside them. Well, yeah, they're in an alley. Is the car pulling up into the alley or is it pulling up into the entrance of the alley? Either way, they're like, hey, get Get into the the car. car. Get in the car, man. Come on. I picture he starts walking toward the car. And then he starts running away from it, and he calls to Annie to start running. And so Annie starts running, and then There's somebody... chaos. Yeah, it's chaos. Somebody in the midst of that says, gotcha, to Annie. And she starts yelling, let me go, let me go. And, and then they break for commercial. And so will we. We'll be right back. And we're back. So Annie has been kidnapped, grabbed by someone and it turns out that, that someone is Mrs. Mrs. Rosini, Rosini, which is not played clearly before. The first time I listened to this, it sounded like one of the gang members had yeah, it did. grabbed her. It did. And which, I don't know if, not that's sure if that was intentional. intentional or not. Yeah. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that was not intentional. Because if it was, that's a really cheap bait and switch. Right. But anyway, um, Mrs. Rosini grabs her, grabs her and drags and her into the quiet house. And drags her into the house. And then we have the Witch in the Woods stereotype fully realized because mrs rosini one she has a hag voice yeah she sounds scary angry bitter woman and she just starts giving annie a tongue lashing like you were trespassing on my property you wanted to come and see the cats how many cats do you see here uh five five cats or seven or seven. something it wasn't but that many but they not... also lean into the crazy well, yeah, cat lady like, stereotype just so because hard. i have a few cats doesn't mean i'm crazy you know what makes me crazy trespassers trespassers make me crazy they come in here and terrify my <laughs> cats they're 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 bennington really freaky and it's like and run away run away run away she's dangerously Annie insane is legitimately freaked out but keeping her cool and she says i should go no uh, uh the locos they could still be out there and you're like oh my gosh woman <laughs> it feels very kidnappy yeah and so then she's like um would you like some tea I used to have hot chocolate, but I haven't had hot chocolate in this house since I had children. Oh, you have children? No, they died. With their father, they got hit by a drunk driver. And all of me is like, no, don't drink the tea. Don't drink the tea given to you by the horrifying crazy lady. That line especially, too, though. One, she's still bitter and angry about it. But also, it brought to mind, for me, that everything about this neighborhood is doom and gloom and poverty and heavy. There's no balance. 
Yeah, so to contrast that with, you can have squalor in poor communities and poor families where there is still joy and laughter and humor and fun. And that's what real life looks like. There's hard stuff to deal with, but there's spots of joy and light as well. A good picture of this from fiction would be the Cratchit family in A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. You've got Dickensian working class struggle depicted here with a family that genuinely love each other and are celebrating Christmas the best they can with what they have. And they're grateful for what they have. And yeah, and they're healthy and they love each other. We don't see anything like that. Everyone in this Foster Creek is either a crook or a lonely recluse or, or there's something you. problematic Nothing. about basically everyone here. And granted, on the edges, maybe you can assume there's some functionality. The pastor is a good pastor. The people in the church may be good people, but we're not shown them. What we are shown is all brokenness and dysfunction and crime and heaviness. And I wanted some more balance to this. Yeah, it makes it not a very fun episode to listen to. No. So Annie, contrary to common sense, says, okay, I will have some tea. So Mrs. Rosini lights the stove, and two seconds later, the tea is boiling. And whistling, yeah. And whistling. And that's, I'm sorry, even if you have a gas stove... Tea does not brew that quickly. Well, and it's the Water does not it's boil the heightened quickly. adventures in Odyssey time thing exactly. going on, but it became asks, very noticeable it in was this very case. Noticeable. She asks if she wants sugar, and Annie refuses sugar. Again, what kid refuses sugar? Yeah, that's, what kid takes that's their not tea realistic. black unless they're pretentious? Yeah, Annie is definitely not pretentious. When she hands her the tea and asks Annie to tell her about her Christmas. Suddenly she softens and it's almost like a flip of a switch because she went from being the Wicked Witch of the West to Laura Ingalls Wilder and she starts telling about her own childhood Christmases. And when I was a little girl, I would wait in bed until the little bit of sun would peek through the window and blah, blah, blah. And the music swells and it's this sweet, sentimental sort of thing. That leaves me like, wow, where did that come from when and she was so she was scary so a moment scary ago? and bitter and cynical and crazy. This shift is not earned. No. This progression is not earned. I don't care if the producers want us to think that she's a lonely old woman and she just needed a kid to come and talk to. That, it, that's that all well and good. Is not, yeah, if that's all well and good, you didn't show us that. You showed us Wicked Witch of the West suddenly turning into Laura Ingalls Wilder, and that transition is not earned. It doesn't work. It doesn't feel realistic or smooth at all. You sound angry about it. (laughs) This is my story editor side coming out. I absolutely hate inconsistent storytelling. Yeah. The thing is that dynamic characters, we want to see characters change in a piece of fiction. Static characters are boring. Dynamic characters are interesting, but there needs to be some catalyst and there needs to be realistic progression. It's not just flipping a switch. One second they act this way and then for no good reason they change their mind for and no start acting some other way. For no good reason beyond it works with the story. That is a cop-out. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox and we'll keep going. Once she starts telling about her childhood Christmases, we transition back to the church and everybody are looking for Annie and Tommy comes back. 
and says, Annie is with Mrs. Rosini and the Locos are out. Which is, oh my gosh, very scary, apparently. And the pastor says, oh yes, I know about Mrs. Rosini. She kind of has a reputation for being crotchety about strangers. And here we have another... Weird inconsistency. Weird inconsistency that we're going to pick at because this show is meant to teach children. So because of that, you would think they would make an effort to depict an ideal scenario, right? So a good church ought to be helping the poor and ought to be reaching out to the people around them, even around the church. Well, and interestingly, the pastor is aware of Mrs. Rosini. He's aware of her reputation. Later in the episode, when, spoiler alert, things end happily because it's Adventures in Odyssey, and she winds up not being hostile to the church or anything. She winds up coming and stuff. Why has the pastor not reached out to her before? Or other members of the congregation or whatever. She's within walking distance. She's a lonely old lady. It seems to me... She's perfectly capable of getting out as well. She's not stuck in her house. But that shouldn't make any difference. And weirdly, she's a Christian, which we find out later. Right, we'll get to that. And we'll get to that. It's also inconsistent and strange. But the pastor's position... He ought to have gone out and reached out to her, and there is no indication that he has done so, even though he's perfectly well aware of her presence. I grant that, unfortunately, people are sinful and fallible and selfish, even Christians, and this kind of thing can and does happen in real life. As a show that is meant to teach kids, I would have thought they would have presented a better example. Moving on, Wit springs into action because Wit is a boss, and he doesn't care if Mrs. Rosini is hostile to strangers or if they hop in the car. Crazy Latino gang members out. They hop in the car. They're gonna go get Annie. Then we switch back to Annie talking with Mrs. Rosini, and we hear more of Mrs. Rosini's mm-hmm. life story. She talks about her mental breakdown that she had after her husband and son, sons, sons plural, after they died. That she spent some time in a mental hospital, that after getting out, she had trouble finding work because no one wanted to hire an ex-mental patient. Well, and also she didn't have any experience beyond being a housewife. Mm -hmm. So she had these medical bills she needed to pay. She couldn't get a job. So kind of all of their savings were swallowed up and all she was left with was the house and the neighborhood has deteriorated around it. So Annie asks, are you happy? Which is a weird question to ask because it's pretty clear that she's generally unhappy. But she says she is happy. And then we get some soft serve Christianity. Yeah, so soft serve Christianity is this term that I kind of coined along with Adventures in Odyssey. Kind of goes with the whole ice cream shop thing. And we have this kind of amorphous spirituality that shows up where people will say christian sounding things that are not in themselves untrue but that don't communicate any deep truth they're kind of surface level they're the sort of things that you would put on a poster with a cute cat or a basket full of ducks yeah and they're things that again although they're not untrue they're not terribly helpful No, they require some unpacking to be helpful and to mean something. She uses the metaphor of one of her cats needing to 
trust her when he hurt his paw and she had to cut away the bandage while she was redressing the wound. And she used that as a metaphor for trusting God with life just as her cat trusted her. And every time she feels the old pain and the old bitterness coming up, she reaches for that cat and he reminds her to trust God. Which is weird. We keep using the word weird, but there's so many things that are kind of strange and inexplicable about the way this character operates. Because when she was so nasty at the beginning, for her to suddenly be like, and I just trust God all the time, I don't have any evidence of that beside her words here. Her words don't mean a whole lot because we don't see it otherwise. Yeah. If you are a devout Christian, God should permeate all of your life. And for her metaphor for the cat to be the first opportunity that she talks about God is a missed opportunity because with all of her story about her being in a mental hospital and her sons and her husband dying and losing all of her money, she could have said, God help me through this. It's just trouble, trouble, trouble. Yeah. I don't have a problem with the trouble, trouble, but for her to, when she's saying, am I happy? Well, God has filled me up. He has set me back on my feet after all of this, and he is what gives me my joy. And instead we get a cute cat metaphor. Yeah. It doesn't feel like she is pulling her convictions or her comfort from things like being in the word, being in prayer. Or that it even really ties to any of her real life experience. Exactly. That's not to say that as a Christian, trials are all fun times or anything like that. Or that you can't draw lessons from the world around you. But the way it's handled in the story is weak. Mm -hmm. Same with the, she asks, would you be happy if you had more money? Mm -hmm. And she says, well, not necessarily. There's millionaires that commit suicide every day. It's what's in here that counts. So this is another really nitpicky thing, because she says, it's what's in here that counts. And Annie goes, in your heart? In my heart. I was like, no, duh. You don't need to spell it out. All you needed to do from a point of dialogue, just say, it's what's in here that counts. And everyone understands what you mean. And she's talking about that happiness comes straight from heaven when you're right with the Lord. Okay, again, she's not demonstrated that... That she is right with the Lord. she is right with the Lord. So it seems very trite and very hypocritical. Very kitten postery. Yeah. Yeah. So they're interrupted by a crash, and the locos are back. They were throwing rocks or something at the window. Bricks, I think. Bricks. Mm-hmm. And they're calling out to Mrs. Rosina, Hey, crazy lady, come out and play, or something equally inane. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't make sense. So the street gang, I would think, if they are an actual gang... It would make sense for, maybe these are teenage hoodlums and they just want to cause some damage and make messes and that amuses them. Okay, fine. You know, spray painting on her house. That would make sense. But calling her to come out, they have no real beef with her. They have no real interest in her. If she came out, they might be like, oh, uh, hey. What are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Generally, I don't know what they would do with her if she came out. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And she's yelling at them to go away, and then we hear somebody pounding at the door. And they open the door and... No, they don't open the door yet because Mr. Whitaker calls through it because they think it's the locos. Oh, okay. Either way, they hear pounding at the door, and lo and behold, it's Mr. Whitaker, which is a huge bait and switch because it's like 
the gang members and stuff. Knock, 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 knock. Go away. Hello, is anyone in there? And suddenly it's like the gang members vanished into the ether. They just poof away. Well, like and nothing we happened. the explanation that the sheriff's office came, but they didn't want to scare the locals away with their cars. So they came on foot and arrested them. Yeah, which happened in... A split second. Yeah, a split second. Blink of an eye and no sound. We heard no struggle. We heard no anything. So they just spirited the gang away, which... Didn't make sense. Anyway. It was something we noticed. But all that, they're safe. They're safe now. They ask if Mrs. Rosini can come to dinner. And Mrs. Rosini is oddly reticent to come. Again, if she's a Christian... It is natural to want to have community and fellowship with the people of God. And she is not incapacitated in her house. She can get out and do things. So Yeah, we don't have the idea that she's she really a shut-in or anything like that. Right. They do end up convincing her, and she ends up having a good time. And they have the big potluck dinner. Everybody has a great time. That's very nearly the end of the story. Yes, true. Wit is talking with Tommy and Annie afterward. And Annie's like, oh, I had so much fun. I would love to come back. And she says, well, you've got opportunities because you've got to make up for some of the damage you've caused. First thing you can do is repair these windows, which makes it sound like he wants them to repair Mrs. Rosini's windows. No, he means Mrs. Rosini's windows. Yeah, but again, doesn't make a lot of sense for several reasons. Number one, the kids didn't really cause the gang members or anything to be throwing rocks and breaking the windows. Yeah, there was no connection with Annie being there and the gang coming to the house. To harass Mrs. Rosini. It just is a thing that happened. So it's almost like punishment-y on Annie and Tommy. Yeah, they shouldn't have been running off by themselves, but that's quite a hefty punishment to say you have to replace these windows and talk about it as though they cause the break. It's a disconnected thing. Secondly, who wants 12-year-old kids repairing the windows on their house? That's pretty technical work. He's like, oh, I'll buy you some panes of glass and you can get to work. I was like... I don't even I'm want an adult. Josh replacing the windows and, in our house. Yeah, and I've done a fair amount of blue-collar work. I'm fairly handy. I wouldn't know how to replace a window. No. That's not something it's I've very done. very specialized piece so, of construction. So, don't have 12-year-olds. So, thanks, but no thanks. I would rather my house not leak. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, yeah, but Annie is like, well, I still want to come back even if I have to work. And then she gets kind of on a roll. She's like, I have all these toys and clothes that I don't need. And I can ask my mom if I can bring those back. And can we stop at the store? I'd like to buy a bag of cat food for Mrs. Rosini. And Wit says, well, it looks like you have learned your lesson today. Sort of. Sort of. So, again, I feel like every sentence we're saying we have a problem. (laughs) Don't say we didn't warn you at the beginning of the episode. So there's problems with this. For one thing, this wave of charitable feeling, Mm -hmm. I guess, that Annie is feeling, it's not a bad thing in and of itself, but it's also not a terribly helpful thing in and of itself. We haven't seen her gain any real contentment for the things that she has. Part of the problem at the beginning of the episode. There's no gratitude for the things that she has or got. No. Instead, it becomes, hey, I have a lot of this old stuff that I don't need anymore that I can give to other kids. Which might be good or might not be. Sometimes hand-me-downs are great and 
useful and in good shape. Sometimes hand-me-downs are a pile of trash. And people will pass them along in order to feel good about themselves without actually being helpful. There's also a question of what lesson has she actually learned? It's unclear. It also, in this particular instance, feels kind of patronizing to all the kids that are there at that dinner because they have not shown any personal connection that she has with those Mm-mm. kids. The only th- Even Tommy, and we haven't really had their relationship develop throughout no. the course of the episode. No. You also wonder how long is this going to last? Because, again, this is an unearned transition. Suddenly she's feeling generous, Suddenly and feeling we don't generous. exactly know why. Right. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with the structure of the episode as a whole. The episode structure is so loose, and some of the odysseys we've listened to are very, very tight. The plot moves from point A to point B to point C, and we're just trucking along with the Mm -hmm. story. That's not really the case in this one. There's a lot of fluff for being so short. It's no longer than the average episode, but it's got a lot of padding and a lot of fluff. So either they were confused about what story they wanted to tell. I think that's exactly what happened. Right. Because the core of the story ends up being her conversation with Mrs. Rosini. Mm -hmm. But in order to get her there, she had to go to the ghetto and then go to the church and then go into the alley. All of that. All of that other stuff that. Yeah, the getting the boxes of food and the implications of the church that they're going to and the meal they're going to have and stuff. What would have been more interesting would be to have the episode within the first two or three minutes of the episode have her kidnapped by the crazy cat lady and then spend the rest of the episode. Then we have enough time to develop conversation and relationship Uh and understanding between this spoiled kid and this impoverished old woman. Mm -hmm. And it would have been a much more satisfying, I think, story to have less happening. There's a lot of stuff that happens in this that doesn't really mean anything. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of... There. Yeah, stuff happens. Yeah, it could have been a much tighter episode. But that's actually the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, conversation it ends in Wit being like, well, it sounds like you learned something today. And we don't really see any particular signs that her heart has changed. It just kind of is, I she, guess. She now has a burst of charity. So we end and we get back to Chris. And thank goodness, after so much <laughs> that we've ragged on this episode. Mm-hmm. And in the past, we've ragged pretty hard on Chris. But this is actually one of, is her one of her yeah. better ones we've come across thus far. Well, I do want to say one thing about the episode before we get too far away. One good thing about the episode is that it doesn't demonize either rich people or poor people. That's true. Annie is not evil for... For having stuff. stuff. Yeah. Nor are the poor people bad or good for not having things. Mm-hmm. Finances or financial situation or what have you is not a mark of character. And I think that ties actually to real life. So good on Odyssey for that. Mm-hmm. All right, back to Chris's outro. She says that Annie's lesson was the fun of getting Christmas gifts is fleeting, but the excitement of giving lasts all year long. 
okay, so uh, that's not really earned by the episode itself, but her statements afterward uh, are also good because she says the greatest gift we can give is ourselves caring kindness encouragement sometimes it might mean giving something tangible to someone in need and the greatest gift we can give is to share the gospel with them and she says that when we do to the least of these you've done it to me matthew 25 40 is the specific verse she gives this is in context of jesus talking about the final judgment this is the parable of the sheep and the goats yes when he talks about when Christ comes again, he will divide nations as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, and he will say to the righteous, enter into your inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Mm -hmm. The way that it's structured is the least of these, my brothers, as in brothers in Christ. He's talking specifically about how the body of Christ operates. If you are Christians, this is how you will treat fellow believers. This is a mark of your christianity mm -hmm. and on the flip side the parable goes on to give the exact opposite reaction to the goats the people who are cast aside mm -hmm. depart from me i never knew you because i was hungry and you did not give me something to eat i was sick and you did not care for me i'm misquoting here but it's giving both the positive and the negative mm -hmm. in the passage it's stronger and fiercer than Chris's version. So but Chris, Chris has a limited amount of time. Yeah, this is said in the last seconds of the show, mm -hmm. and we can't fault her for yeah. not sermonizing deeply on this topic. So that's how the episode ends, and whew, that was a rough one. I hope it wasn't as rough to listen to us talk as it was rough for us to give this one. Yes. Hopefully next time... We'll have more fun things to say and more positive things to say. But until then... Have a wonderful couple weeks. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to give us a rating and review. And check out the Fred Rogers book on Audible through our affiliate link so you can get a free audiobook. Until then, toodaloo!